Welcome everyone. I'm Kevin Miller and this is The Ziggler Show, inspired by the grandfather of inspiration himself, Zig Ziggler. We've surpassed 40 million downloads because we bring messages that help you make the changes you want so you can get the results you want. In this episode, how to effectively communicate with groups and individuals. How would you rate your communication skills when presenting something to a group of people? Whether it's at the dinner table, a meeting at work, or on stage. Do you feel understood and heard? Well, this is the question I posed to the Ziegler audience. Interestingly, many people cited they felt more adept at communicating to groups, whether personally or professionally, than to individuals like their family members. I asked my guests from episode 731 and 733 to join me, cognitive neuroscientist and communication expert, Jared Cooney Horvath. Jared got his doctorate from the University of Melbourne, but I think you can get a veritable doctorate in communicating from this show. Uh, Real quick, friends, before we start, in episode 738, it was supposed to lead with a tremendous clip from Zig Ziglar where he shares his personal story. It was the premise for the Q&A session that we did on the relevance of our personal story. In our production, the clip got left out. And for all of you who listened to episode again, 738, if you did not hear the Ziegler clip, I highly encourage you to check it out. Just fast forward if you want over the first couple of minutes. And it's about a 10 minute clip that you're not going to want to miss. My apologies so much for the error on our part. All right, I'm going to bring you Jared Cooney Horvath, and we'll talk through your responses to the question about communication right after I share some great products and services. All right, well, Jared, man, just great to have you back with us here. And I thought, as always, it was a great topic talking about communication to bring to everybody and see how people are feeling about themselves. So uh, I'm going to dive in and just throw them at you. You ready? Perfect. Let's hit it. All right. Terry Johnson. He says, it's weird. I can speak in public to hundreds uh, and uh, uh, with no issue, but I find it hard to hold the attention of a table of people. And he says, I need to get better at storytelling. I envy those who can hold the attention of a group of people who are awesome storytellers. And he says, any tips or suggestions? Welcome. But I want to read right after that Jennifer posted to him. She says, I, I always say soar with your strengths. In other words, if storytelling does not come naturally, are you a good listener? Can you help the storytelling uh, storyteller along by asking interesting questions to extend the good story? Are you emphatic to notice how the other people are responding to the story and involve them in the conversation? Maybe your strength is getting the group to gel. Oh, that was really insightful and wanted to hear your perspective because I'm I'm very much like him that I, well, I don't feel like I have trouble holding the attention, but boy, storytelling is not a natural gift. Yeah, it's, and that's totally fine. You've got those people who just kind of show up and can rock it. And then you've got some people who just have to put a little effort into it, but it's all still totally doable. Um, I love that idea. So with the, the second comment, so we think when it comes down to telling a story, Right. You've got three angles. You've got your through line, your physical through line. What are the actions? You've got your emotional through line. What are the feelings that are pulling those actions together? Okay. And then the third thing we say you need is an audience. Without an audience, a story isn't a story. It's just a thought. Yeah. So interesting. And so the, the give and take between you and your audience becomes key. So I love that she brought that up, that a good listener makes for a good story. Yeah. Sometimes you get a wonky listener and that's like, 
kids trying to watch TV while texting, there is no story going on there because the listener chooses to tune out. And that's yeah. not the fault of the TV show. It's the fault of the, the audience. Yeah. Um, so I, it, I love that. The more if you're a listener, you can chime in, help out and see how people are interacting. That's always huge. But in terms of then the personal side, if you're the one who's got to kind of run the story, yeah. the only big heap in advice that I like to give out because everyone's got their own styles is what you tend to see is people focus a little too much on the physical through line, not enough on the emotional through line. (laughs) Excuse me. And what I mean is once you start a story, the way you start to resonate with people with the way you get that, what we'll call neural synchrony, the way you get their brain firing like your brain is almost entirely through the emotional angle. Once they're hooked emotionally, then they walk through the physical actions with you. Never hook them emotionally, and the physical actions are just – they're like random facts just being blasted at their face. So a lot of people are so interested in getting the details of the story that they miss. I need to know what you're feeling. I need to know what the sensations are. Hmm. When you feel your story, your audience can't help but fire along with you. Um, so the example I kind of always give is, is my father always tell, gosh, darn it for what 50, 60 years now, he's told the same story about a pocket watch, but he's genuinely laughing every time he tells it. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't matter that I've heard the story a hundred times. I laugh along with him and now I'm on the journey. Whereas I've got some people I work with, some professors at uni who are really good at the details, but you can just tell they're phoning it in. And that's when people just tune out. There's nothing to connect to emotionally. So there's no reason for me to walk through the journey with you. So even around a small table, it's, can you get the emotions? And like your other listener said, how can you use them to your advantage? How can you get them to chime in with moments, with ideas that force them to start to emotionally resonate with you? And then you've got them hooked. Uh, yeah, I want to stick right there because I'm thinking about myself as always. You know, I get to be the uh, primary student in all these shows, and I I struggle with just remembering uh, the ancillary details to something I'm telling. And I will I've really made a habit of or tried to to start the habit of not saying, "Well, I'm not a very good storyteller." That that was my norm. I would say that <laughs> to preface the fact because I felt bad that I'm not going to remember the details. And if anybody else at the store, at the table or wherever is part of the story, like my wife or kids, or whatever, they're going to know that I'm leaving things out. But I do tend to think of the points and yet I know it's, it's very dry there. And so as you're talking about the emotional through line, even if I just make a habit of sharing right off the cuff a feeling, okay, something about myself, how I felt in this uh, uh, this arena or this this um, you know whatever was going on in the story, and added a couple you know some adjectives about what's going on, what's the environment, because I'll do that sometimes. I'll get into something and somebody go, whoa, 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 back up, back up, where were you, and and what was happening? Yep, yep. And those are things that I can habitual. I mean, we're just talking about you know habitual exercises of becoming better at a skill. And here's one you're sharing with. And of course, we're talking about at the dinner table, but I, as you talked about in the first show, you're saying it's the very same thing on stage or one-on-one. Yeah, the, the only yeah, difference is, is the number of listeners yeah. and two, then the way you feel. So you can embellish your story with emotions, which is perfect, which is a great thing to do. But it will swing back to literally what are you feeling while you tell that story? Okay. If you've not lost yourself in the story, 
and you're thinking more about how you feel nervous because people maybe oh, oh maybe they're not looking at me correctly or maybe I'm not telling it right. Yeah. It's the the feeling you're literally feeling while you're telling it is what's going to start resonating with the crowd. So if we start, I can imagine if you start with saying something like, Hey, I'm not good at this. You've already telegraphed that I'm feeling nervous or uncertain and they're going to feel that nervous uncertainty. They're going to start to resonate with that. And then either you're going to get a very sympathetic audience or you're going to get one that just turns off and says, well, no, I don't want to feel that. So off to the next thing. So it's, it's one thing, definitely add the emotions to the story, but it's also important to recognize that the key emotion is the one you're feeling when you're telling it. So we don't know the mechanisms and I, I wish we're, we're working on it, but human beings trade emotions incredibly well. Yeah. I mean, even non-linguistically, just by sitting in the same room with me, you can start to feel what I'm feeling. And I think we all know this intuitively. We just don't know the mechanism right now, but you can feel when your wife is angry. You can feel when your kids are happy without anyone ever op- opening their mouth. And that's the key emotion to have. If you come in nervous because mm. it's a small group, congratulations the crowd's going to feel that nervousness and either they're going to try and ease you up or they're just going to shut you down but if you lose yourself in your story and you giggle or you cry or you smile because it's a happy one those are the ones that start to bring people along does that does that kind of make sense yeah and it's interesting you said trading emotions because zig ziglar's uh you know famous for saying that his statement with sales is a transference of emotions. It's a transference of feeling, you know, good sales, healthy sales. And so it's yeah. interesting to hear you say that we are trading emotions. I, I want to stick on this because again, I'm thinking about uh, myself and there's a couple, there's such good points brought up and these were literally, I didn't pick these out to be first. These were the first, very first uh, comments left to this question. And you know, one, I like, I like context. So I'm sure I assume, cause I do this pretty much in every, uh, every time I have a guest on the show, when you and I talked at some point early on, I asked, I think I did too, you know, here you're into, uh, neuroscience and whatnot. What got you on this path? Yeah, we, I did. And you shared it. I wanted the context of your personal story and I will tend to, again, be a bullet point to the point person and not give the context of why I am sharing this thing that I care about, why I'm telling this story, and I'll leave my own my own person out. And there may be, I'm wondering if subconsciously there's some feelings too of just my own narcissism, don't want to make it about me. But without that, I'm leaving out the context. And I'm sure we've all experienced yeah. a person and all they did was drone on for 30 minutes about themselves. And we're like, holy smokes, what is the point? Is there a point, for the love of Pete, uh, to this? <laughs> but... Uh, of course, I guess you would tell us there's a healthy balance. Yeah, it's, and that's, you're, you're spot on. If you remove yourself from the story, you lose the point of telling the story. At the end of the day, there's the, the sharing has to come from you. Yeah. Or, I mean, it could, it could even come from, even if you're sharing somebody else's story, the only angle you can put on it is what that meant for you. Oh my goodness, I heard this guy tell the story and it, and it, it absolutely broke my heart and I, I just want to share it boom, you're, it's, it's not their story now. It's your story sharing their story. So it always has to come back to you, remove yourself from the equation. And that's your, that's your number one. That's, that's all you got. Yeah. But I think you're right. It's, it's funny. You're right. Cause there is the, the narcissistic and we've all been there. The people who go, you're right. You go a little too far with the self stuff, uh-huh. but I think 
there's the natural inclination can't be to swing the pendulum so far the other way that you remove yourself. It's, it's and, just got to be you're right. Find that balance. Yeah. And I'm literally thinking it's I'm laughing because a couple nights ago, I was sitting at the table with a couple of my my middle aged boys, and uh, one of them was talking about a scar or something like that, and they asked me and got into a story of this. It looked like a bear claw on my on my leg, and it was from a chain ring from a bicycle. And I just but I mentioned just something about it, and he's like what, what's the story where this happened? And, you know, and I had to think back to the, uh, the big bike race and the big wreck and the, and they were just enthralled, but yeah, I just don't normally do that. And again, we're talking about as always habits. What are our habits for success? We're talking about communication and what a great one for, for myself and for those out there who are inclined like I am to say, okay, I'm about to tell something, give the context of, of the environment, give a little bit of that. Yeah. Here's what, here's why I'm even bringing this up. Uh, I was once at this place and here's what was happening. And this is how I felt. That's the, another one, man. The word feelings is continually a new one for me. It's not one that I generally have as a part of my uh, quiver of verbiage, yeah. but feeling well, and another part of this too, though, that Jennifer brings up that I do like, and I have had great, I've, I've always had great success at being, how did she say it here? I'm reading it again, kind of uh, nurturing along the conversation. And I've had people, yeah. even my wife say, oh my gosh, Kevin, you're so great at just asking the person questions and prodding them on. And you get the response afterwards. I've had that of, and I don't know if anybody testified that I'm a good conversationalist, but you know, I was really interesting in that scenario and realizing I never really told anything about myself. I never really told a story. I just helped prod along other people. Uh, now this is that, how does that fit into, this is obviously not an on stage issue, but this is an individual yeah. conversation, communication, what tactic, strategy, value. Yeah. I, I experience maybe it's it's a yeah. tricky word because yeah. you could see how they could use it in different ways. But I I always I think a good rule of thumb, and you you, you were right to point out the difference between stage and in person. Because another funny thing, when you're on stage, you can kind of control everything, mm -hmm. right? You tell your story with the idea that ten minutes later you're going to swing back to that story to then push forward. You're in complete control for an hour. Whereas at a dinner party, you tell a story and you don't know two minutes what's going to happen. So you have to be a lot more open to free flow and to say, well, cool, maybe we don't come back to the point of that story or yeah. maybe I don't get to hit that point, but that's okay. So I think one, a good rule of thumb is the next two or three parties you go to and people hate this until they try it. <laughs> don't talk about yourself once. You are yeah. the pure listener. You might even make it through an entire party without saying nothing more than, oh, yeah, yeah, go on. Oh, tell me more. And the whole point is, A, to see how, how other people communicate and how much they're tied and lost in their own stories. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Which is fantastic. It's, it's good to know. Once you start to recognize that pattern, you start to pull a lot of stress out of yourself and say, well, look, everyone's kind of doing their own thing. And two, you start to recognize, yeah, pretty much what it means to be a good listener. If you can prod somebody along their own storyline for 30, 45 minutes, A, you'll feel wildly connected with them. You'll love it. You'll start to really lose yourself in it, and you'll see how important it is to actually deeply listen. Yeah. But two, you'll start to recognize what elements a good story has, what doesn't. When you start to chime in, when you start to, to lose out, let them be your teacher by seeing what's resonating with you when they're telling stories, then you can use those kind of ideas to swing back and say, okay, next time I'm at a party, 
I don't want to go on too long. I want to make sure I swing back and invite them in. Anytime I talk about my home life, I want to follow up with, but tell me about yours. You kind of, by shutting up for a, a while, you learn a lot about how to communicate better. Oddly enough, it's, it sounds counterintuitive, but it's a great little technique. Well, and I, w- I wanted to ask you, you know, so we're talking about story for people as an, you know, as individuals, but also on stage and for our businesses. And I'm not quick enough to pull it up here, but if you type in Donald Miller and the Ziggler show, you'll find the last uh, show that I did with him. And we talked about his book. I think it's called story brand. Uh, yeah, and, yeah. and he does a great job of making in business, making your customer the hero. And he talks about it from that aspect, but he is, uh, he's a master at storytelling. I was going to ask you, I didn't know if you had any specific resources that you like on storytelling on, uh, you know, for business or, or otherwise. No, I tend to, I tend to avoid the storytelling issue just cause there's, it's so wildly personal. I've heard some of the driest people tell some of the best stories and I've heard some of the most animated people tell some of the worst. So any techniques are so specific to you and your audience and what you're trying to do. But the, so the only technique I ever say when it comes to storytelling is, is feel it. If you're not feeling it, neither is your audience. But if you allow yourself to lose yourself in your story, it's, it's it's almost impossible not to follow along. I have to work to not be there with you. Yeah. You are listening to The Ziggler Show and my Q&A session with Jared Cooney Horvath. And next, we read a comment from someone who feels she struggles to relate to her family. She feels understood and related to at work, but the same perspective she has there doesn't always jive with her personal relationships, especially at home. So I'm going to bring that to you after I share some great products and services with you. Well, here's, here's an issue that came up. I'm going to read two of them because they uh, really piggyback on each other. Abby, she yeah. says, uh, I'm an eight to customers and strangers, a five to my family. I work daily on messaging and telling a story from my job. But then my family has a hard time understanding my way of thinking. I think as yeah. a mom and a wife, I need to spend more time on messaging with my own family. You know what? I'm going to, I am going to stop there. That, that's good right there. Huh. I like her insight into herself. Yeah, yeah. Her. That's it. You're, you're opening up. I love that. See how yeah. immediately you and I, because somebody just opened up, you and I are both going, hmm, uh-huh. we're, we're, with, we're with her. Yeah. How bold was that step? And, that, and now you can't not be with somebody who opens up like that. Yeah. yeah. What are you thinking? I, it's, well, I, 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 well, it's interesting. You know, I can see that, though. My family has a hard time understanding my way of thinking. Now, I don't know what her work is, but I have definitely encountered people. Well, even with myself, there's stories that are work-related that I have to kind of tone down because they're over here in a world that my family has no context of, uh, you know, this parameter of health and wellness or podcasting or, you know, whatever I'm talking about. And I'll have to bring yeah. it down to a relatable level. I'd say I'm probably good at that though. Cause it's part of my job is to take everything and make it relatable to people, take messages, but I can see that I've seen people who have a hard time, uh, they out here in the business world and dealing with, you know, big issues and have a hard time coming back and being relatable just in the yeah. everyday life. Now, I don't know if that's exactly what Abby meant, but it, it's what it makes me think of. And I've definitely you know, experienced a little bit, but seen people who have a hard time. So I appreciate her that her family has a hard time understanding my way of thinking. I would, I, my thought is that there, she may need to find another tactic for bringing up the message. Maybe she's draw her family into the conversation more instead of just delivering a message. 
Yeah, I think that's a, it's a wonderful point. I'm trying to t- tackle it. See, I don't have kids, so I don't know what angle she's coming from, but I'm going to be I'm going to be talking backwards. So rather than talking as the parent trying to get a family unit below me on yeah. board, I'm going to be talking as the kid trying to get the family unit above me on board. Okay. So what you tend to see is the thing that makes business and presentations and stuff so fun or so so much easier in some regards is that it's a very clear, straightforward story. You can play your role. You can play your character. There's not a million competing different storylines. There's one big one. When it comes to a family, you lose that identity. Um, unfortunately, because it's, and this is going to sound a little crass, but my aunt doesn't matter how many things I do with my life. Anytime I do anything, my aunt just says, yeah, don't ever, don't ever forget. I used to wipe your bum when you were a baby. (laughs) It's, and it just pulls you back to earth where you realize here's a group of people that know me so well that I can't have this simple story that anytime I strip away complexity, they go, yeah, well, no, because I know you did this. And no, I know because I've smelt your bad breath and I know you have disgusting feet. You can't pull one over on them. Yeah. So I think at the yeah. when it comes to the family unit, the idea of, yeah, of trying to have a singular story or brand is just simply never going to happen. It's yeah. a whole different unit. Um, with that said, I think the best ways to get around, if it's, if it's an issue of not feeling heard or feeling totally like an outsider in your family, um, as a kid, you just move away. That seems to be the big, yeah. big take-home message most kids do. Go away. Go to a different state. I'm out. Yeah. But the, the other is, is you just have to make it kind of like you were saying, explicit. It's one of the techniques we, we play with with students at schools and their parents is you have to block out a little 15-minute window where you say, I just, and it's going to feel awkward for everyone because this is not what we do as a family. But I need to sit everyone around a table and we're going to have a little discussion. And I want to lay out some ground rules or I want to tell you what I'm thinking or I want to tell you what I'm feeling. And for 15 minutes, I get to talk. You have to listen. There's no debate. There's no rebuttal. I just need to get an idea out to you. And then you repeat it back to me and off we go. And so it might be that you just need to actually build in moments like That's that good. to start to open up the conversation. So people start to in your family start to recognize, oh, you're feeling uncomfortable or, oh, you're feeling unheard, or this. And again, they're never easy. Those conversations suck because they're so unnatural. But when it comes to a family unit, that might be the only option you have, is to make an unnatural moment to get the point out that you can't get out otherwise. It's really good. I'm sitting here uh, writing down thoughts as you talk because I, I do live that life. I mean, every day, I, uh, I'm in the morning and in the evening, I am with a table full of people and this is happening. And yeah, it's interesting that in my work, um, at home too, I guess, but you know, in my work, I have generally a place of authority. I mean, you, you're a speaker, you're generally in front of a class or in front of an audience and you're talking and they're there to hear you. Uh, it's not always the case in our personal lives. We have to earn that. But as you were talking, I thought, you know, it takes, uh, and I I thought one of the things I think that matters as far as how my family's listening to me is, am I listening to them? Do I, do I listen to my kids? Am I, am I practicing? Am I, do I take interest? Do I draw them out? Do I get enraptured in their stories? Uh, that needs to come along uh, at first, maybe before they're going to, 
listen to my stories. And it's, yeah. uh, what you talked about too, though, is interesting because I do that. Sometimes I will, it's difficult for me to tell a story and to have the interruptions, which my wife calls that's conversation is asking a question, <laughs> you know, but for me, they'll ask the question or, or, or comment on something. And then I'm gone, man. I just lost my train of thought. I don't know where I was. It's again, the storytelling is a little more difficult. So sometimes I'll do like, oh, guys, just give me, give me three minutes just to get through the thought or I'm not going to, I'm not going to be able to get through it. <laughs> and they know that about me and I've gotten to be better at being kind at doing that uh, for sure. Yeah. But yeah, I, I live that, uh, that aspect as well. I mean, again, we're just talking about the skill sets that we need to be able to communicate effectively with others. And you, and you start to recognize, and I think that's a wonderful point, that it's contextual. Context to context yeah. to context, it changes. Yeah. And that's why as, as much as I love um, really good techniques and tips, you always have to r remain very malleable and flexible. You have to do what I call translate, is you have to say, that's a wonderful technique. Now I need to adapt that to make it my own and say that technique works really well when I'm in this office with this this group of people, but I can't use it around the dinner table with my family, or I can't use it here, but I can use it here. Yeah. It's, it's, we got to take all that stuff and then step into our own empowerment and adapt it for our own purposes. And I think it's going back to the family thing. You made a really good point. Um, when it comes to parents and kids, there's usually a, a big struggle disconnect between the parent and the child. And the, the issue, and it, it's not, it kind of sucks at some point. As an adult, we have a chance to understand a kid's story purely because we've been there. We can't remember it all. We can't really resonate with it. But my goodness, I have some touch point. So when I sit down and listen and I really say, tell me your story. What are you seeing? Yeah. What are you smelling? What are you feeling? I, ha I have something to grasp. Whereas when hmm. we try and get kids to understand an adult story, they have nothing to grasp. Oh they gosh. haven't ever been here before. So what they, they'll naturally try and spin it into their mind. But that's why a lot of teenagers, even younger say, I know as much as an adult does, or adults don't understand how much we know. Yeah, we do. You don't understand how much we know and you can't until you get to this age. So like you were saying, it's, it's, it's a lot easier or almost more important as the adult to swing down into their story and say, okay, I need to completely understand where you're coming from. If we're disagreeing, the only real option we have is for me to tap into you and say, what is going on? And somehow embedded in there is going to be the lesson I need to pull you up one step because there's no way you're going to make the thousand step jump to understand what I'm saying yeah. as a 50 year old, who's been a kid, been a teenager, been through college, been through training, who's gotten to this stage yeah. that you just, it's too far removed from your experience. So let me step down to yours and then slowly walk you up. And it's, it's such a, it's, it's one of the hardest things in the world to do, but and I, I hate to veer into the parenting angle no, again, because it's not for lack of trying. I, I, I want kids. It's just not one of these years. It's going to actually happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, but, and, um, and we've all been a kid, at least I appreciate you talking. I mean, you're talking about being respectful and, and Jared, that issue right there comes up so often. I have kids who are very social family. We, you know, I bring my work home as far as the topics and the people I talk with. I mean, I talked about your, you know, you can't have one conversation going on more than one conversation going on. We talked about that at the dinner table and we're talking about these things and some deep issues and big issues. And my kind of my, my muses right now, I've got a, a boys who are 14 and 15 
uh, really insightful kids. But yeah, there are sometimes when I, man, I'm, and I'll just say, guys, we're talking about this thing. You, there's no way you can understand the context. You have not ever done that. You've not ever been here. You don't deal with that. So uh, it comes up a lot in a faith-based aspect. We come, we do family devotions a lot and I'll, you know, yeah. read something that's supposed to be even for the family. And I'll go, okay, I just read that guys. You have no relation. That is that sounds like the dumbest thing ever. I mean, the Bible is ridiculous. Uh, I believe in it, but it's, it's just hard to understand and being respectful. And it comes back to what you were talking about, or I wrote down as you were talking about that, we have got to be students of people. And I think I learned this early on waiting tables at a, at a fine restaurant. It was like a five-star restaurant. I was probably late teens and I'm doing that. And you've got to come to the table. I was taught this. You got to come to the table. I don't know if they said it in this much context, but it was not just listen to what they're saying, look or pay attention to how they are being. And is this a person who wants to sit there and talk to you and engage you? And, uh, or is it somebody who's showing off for their date and they want you to present the wine perfectly and shut up and not say anything more than what's necessary and give them a fine dining experience. And it's, and you have to be a student of that. And I, I even, again, in my family, my kids are different people than, than, uh, you know, than each other. They're not all the same. We've got to treat them all. And it's back to what you said uh, earlier. It's so individualized. And, and in, at the end of the day, especially when it comes to teenagers is <laughs> they don't want to hear that they don't get it all yet. So they're, they're ne- that message just will never sink in. Yeah with them <laughs> of course yes you know you know more about the i remember i was thinking about that the other day how when i was a teenager i thought i knew more than my dad and i was more, and now as an adult i look back I'm like i'm so sorry dad yeah i'm such a funny head to yeah. you yeah. but um but we as a teacher now speaking from an educational standpoint is yeah as you, as you start to say one of the best things most important things you can do is the first two or three weeks of the class you just get to know your students Hmm. you just do nothing but listen and talk and ask questions and say well what are you into why are you doing this that relationship is going to be what helps you pull them through the next year Hmm. if you don't understand them deeply you're just going to beat your head against a wall yelling saying why aren't you getting all this stuff because they're not ready for it your job as a parent as a teacher as an adult is to walk them through that path. And the only way you can do that is if you know where they're starting. If you don't know their starting point, it becomes so difficult to try and get them to an end point because you just don't know what path to take. And we, um, I I was having a big conversation about this the other night. Um, Apparently we were were talking at a school conference after school and one of the parents said, well, you know, why is my teen always yelling at me? And, And why are we debating? And we just always giggle and we say, the question should never be why do teens yell at us so much it should be why do we ever yell back because mm. <laughs> at mm. the end of the day a teenager the only way they know how to debate is to emotionally browbeat the other person the way their brain is developing during adolescence it's all superbly heightened emotions and winners and losers are the ones that either scream the loudest or cry the hardest this is how that works for them as adults, we simply don't live in that world anymore. We're trying to intellectualize and cognitively walk our way through ideas. So once a kid starts debating with an adult, you pit this really emotional rule set that teens have versus this really logical rule set that adults have. And the two never mix. It's oil and water. And whenever you clash them together, the teen rule set always wins because they don't get, they don't understand even the basic rules we're playing with. So once we start debating a teenager, we always become emotional and we start yelling and screaming and they win. 
So, so that's one of those perfect moments where if you feel yourself debating with a teenager or starting to, to get down there, you've already lost that fight. And the only thing you do is you step away, play the adult role and just say, no, I'm done. I'm out. Peace. And then come back when they, when everyone's calmed down and try and pull the logic back in and say, okay, tell me what you were thinking. Why, what were you thinking? And then try and dive as deeply as you can into their story and find the nugget you need to help walk them out. And that is, this, this is why I love the Q and A's, Jared. Uh, it always goes different. That's why I don't script them out. I don't do anything. I let them go. I did not intend to go this direction and I love it. Okay. I'm going to bring up another one here. Yeah. All right. So Jennifer here, she says, I can confidently say that I'm my best at any communication scenario, be it stage, which is preferred work or dinner table. It's a natural talent, but for some reason I am absolute crap at communication skills in a personal one-on-one -on -one situation. I think the other three feel more like a performance or my gift for stirring interesting conversation. I'm able to do that there. And one-on-one -on -one takes away, listen to this, so many crutches or places to hide. Yeah. That, yeah. That's insightful. Vulnerability. Yeah. That's, I love that she brings that up. That's one of the big, so my wife is a psychologist and that's one of the big, big issues she has to deal with, with a lot of her patients is this idea that we have a persona yeah. and it's real easy to, and the world wants you to play that persona when you're in social settings. It's what you do. You're the actress, be the actress. You're, you're the dancer, be the dancer. When you're one-on-one, -on -one, <laughs> you can't play the role anymore. Now you have to tap into who am I really in all of its messiness and all of its nuance. Who is this person across from me really and all of their messiness? And I, I, I can see, especially in this world of social media where you never really have to tap into that, where you have enough escape, yeah. enough crutches to get away from that how it's going to be a real slog the first time you have to sit down around a dinner table with someone yeah. for two hours. And they say, you know what? Stop trying to make me laugh. Tell me what's going on. Yeah. And it's hard, but it's in, at that point, I think you move out of storytelling because I, 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 and I think you just move into pure exposure and revelation. You just talk. Mm. That's when you're going to really resonate with someone. And you'll know within five to 10 minutes, if you guys are sinking, <laughs> or if you're trying to play a role and they're not having it or what's going on. And, yeah. and if, you, if, you, if you've missed it, there's really no breaking through on that one. I usually just bail out and say, we're going to come back to this another time and try again. Yeah. Man, what, what you say about stages and what Jennifer talks about there, you know, I saw that. It was a little bit of a disillusionment. My dad was a personal development uh, advocate. We went to the stages and saw people like Zig Ziglar and, and, and other folks as a kid. He took me to those things and then got to a point. I don't know how he got us into it to where we would volunteer and help uh, at the back of the back, back of the room tables or outside of the arena tables and sell yeah. stuff people. So I got to see these people off the stage one-on-one -on -one in the green room or at their table or whatever. And realizing that some of them were awkward, uh, just incredibly awkward one-on-one -on -one that they, yeah. they, they felt real. It felt like you couldn't get their attention. They're, they're distracted now. Granted too, they're at a big conference and there's 50,000 people and whatever. But then I'd see somebody yeah. like, like Zig, Zig was great one-on-one, -on -one, you know, as well. But I understand that. And I think it's always bothered me a little bit because I struggle with not wanting to be that person myself. 
Uh, I'm most people know me as it is podcast. So they see me talk on a stage or heard me somewhere in an interview. And then one-on-one, I know that sometimes if I don't, as you said, resonate with somebody, if I'm in a group of people or one-on-one and I don't, I, I probably come off either awkward or, or disinterested uh, because I'm just, I don't know where to go always. It's your vulnerability. And sometimes it doesn't always work. Just like, you know, if you do 10 performances of a stage show, nine will be incredible and 10th will just nothing will work. And it's the same with one-on-one. I I think the big trick comes when you realize that when you're presenting, when you're performing, when you're teaching, when you're at work, there's always an exchange of information with a purpose, with a very clear goal. Mm. Someone is trying to help somebody else achieve something. Somebody is trying to pass along an idea in order to get somebody to do X. There's a, there's a through line that makes coherent sense. Okay. One-on-one, you, you eliminate that through line. You're not, when I'm talking to one person, when I'm talking to my wife, I'm not trying to help her. She's not trying to help me. We're trying to share we're not trying to push somebody down a specific path. We're not trying to reach a specific end game. We're simply sharing to yeah. see what starts to come out, what ideas flow. And that's a whole different state. That's where I, I, I think really storytelling and performance and all those skills kind of go out the window because I don't need to convince her. Yeah. I, 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 I always giggle. So I'm a, a neuroscientist. My wife's a psych. And so people always, when they hear that, they're like, oh, you must have the best dinner conversations. <laughs> and, no, <laughs> we do not talk shop at home. At home, it's it's so not that. When I'm teaching, I'm teaching. When I'm with my wife or my family, I as soon as I get in my teacher voice, she'll be the first to say, "Stop teaching. Yeah. Just get out of that." I don't. I don't need to hear that tone. I don't need to hear those words. You know, I'm not one of your students. I'm your wife. Talk mm-hmm. to me, and she calls me right out on it. And it's and it sucks because it's scary and it's. It's scary, I think, because it's just pure vulnerability. Yeah. Is if you're willing to talk to somebody one on one, you have to be willing to open your heart. And once you do that, you have to be willing to get hurt. <laughs> and a lot, that's not the easiest uh, thing to go through. If you don't have a thick skin, and sometimes yeah. people don't want to hear it, yeah. that can be one of the hardest things to do. Well, here's another another insightful one. Uh, Andrew writes. I will and can speak pretty well on a stage, but much of it is scripted and has been very well developed. I also teach class, and for the most part, I have the students engaged due to lots of preparation. But when in a work meeting or a family dinner, sometimes I don't feel as well heard. Part of it is that I don't articulate very well, especially that which can be complex, uh, especially without preparation. Could being not heard be based on people's perception of what you bring to them, the value of the words and feelings you are conveying, whether eloquently or lack thereof? Could it also be the level of love and respect for you that they show at that particular time or their history with you? Boom. Uh, I, all of the above. You just threw a million wonderful ideas into one. You, Nothing he said was wrong. Yeah. Um, and I, I think a good place to start is that idea that, yeah, different people think at different speeds and you, you tend to have people who can think ridiculously well on their feet. And those are the people who, if you give them two years to write a paper, will do it all in the night before. And then you have people who are deep thinkers who put on the spot. Can't there's, they're just really quiet. They don't, they can't articulate like Andrew was saying, but give them two years, they'll spend those two years writing a paper and that final paper comes out 
incredibly deep. And so there's where you you just got to. So you're in the other camp at conferences, at meetings, at at, where when people have to think on their fly, that just might not be what you do. Typically, what I say to people who work in my lab, who are those kind of people, I say during lab meetings, I don't even want to hear you talk. Just listen. You're you're the listener. And what I want you to do is go compile your thoughts after the meeting and then you get to send out the email, the follow on email one, two, three days later. Let's say, let's rehash what we talked about at the meeting. Here are my thoughts on it. So I, it gives them the time. during. They don't feel the pressure during the meeting to do anything, but they have the venue. Either they're running the next meeting or they have the email venue to then spit out and say, here's my thoughts on that. And people get real good at recognizing, okay, these three people aren't going to say anything, so I'm going to look for their emails to get their take once they've got the time to organize it because those thoughts are almost always better than the, I'm one of the people who thinks on the fly and even I'm acutely aware when you're thinking on the fly, you're thinking, you're speaking, but you're really thinking. So 50% of the things that come out of your mouth is trash because it's just you thinking through some stuff and it could be useful. It could not be, but people who don't want to think on the fly, who want to think deeply, who want to organize their ideas, you can assume most of that's going to be gold. So those are the ones that people really look out for and say, okay, I'm waiting for this guy to chime in because I know that's going to be a deep nuanced understanding of the topic that the rest of us were just flitting around. So how can you build that into the system to help give you that space you need is what I typically say. I like that. And it reminds me of some of the own things I've done to manage my own strengths and weaknesses. And if I am at a, with a group of people or with, uh, when we have the staff, you know, weekly staff meeting or whatever, I always have either my computer out or a journal so that I can write. And I take notes when I hear somebody say something and it's a point that I want to expound on. I'll put that note down and same thing with my own thoughts that I have. I'll put that down because I do have a hard time articulating. Yeah. My wife says, I, I just need to talk to figure this out. I'm the exact 100% opposite. I need to stop, have some solitude and write. And I will do yeah. that sometimes even with, uh, my, well, my family, you know, like I talked about doing devotions. It's usually after I've had my own time in the morning and, uh, I will have some thoughts that I've written out and that's what I'll bring. And I'll say, okay, here's yeah. what I was thinking. And I can articulate it cause I've got it written right here. This is what I wrote. Now they know that of me. Uh, my staff does my business partners know my, my, my family knows that I'll do that. I say, Hey, here's some thoughts. I wrote this and I'll kind of read through that. And so there I got, that's what I wanted to say. Now let's talk. And then we have a great conversation and they can ask questions or they can give their thoughts and I'm not going to, you know, be sidetracked or lose my train of thought, but that's totally different than, you know, my wife. But yeah, we're talking about how do we effectively communicate with others in these varying, you know, on the stage at the dinner table, at a work group, whatever. And I think that is finding what you, like you talked about, figure out, you got to know, well, we're back to self-awareness uh, to begin with, yep. which, you know, you and, and, and self-acceptance is, yeah. is recognizing everyone's got a different set of skills. And like, I love the, the woman who said she was good on stage, but not good one-on-one. I promise you, there are people out there who are saying, oh, I'm the complete opposite. I'm great one-on-one but I can't put me on a stage. I I got nothing. I'm going to clam up. And the idea is this is where you get to say, okay, if this is me, I've got two choices. One growth. And that's always an option. Learning and growth is you say, if I'm bad at X, I want to train at that. I want to get better at that. Or you say personal acceptance and you say, you know what, the amount of time and effort it's going to take for me to get incredibly good at that 
might pale in comparison to just me simply accepting that this is what I like to do. This is what I want to do. How do I make sure I put the, the scaffolds in place that allow me to do this as best as I possibly can? Yeah. And neither of those is totally right. But it's, it's when you, it, you can't really even enter into that decision until you stop and do your self-reflection and say, you know what, here's my skills, here are my weaknesses. And I, I'm, I'm the king of it, man. I'm, I, there are times when I'll, I'll get my weaknesses and I'll say, you know what, this sucks. But for the next four, five, six months, I got to do nothing but study and train because I can't conceivably see myself going forward without enhancing this skill. Yeah. And then there are times where I'll get to a thing and I'll say, you know what, I like the way I do things now. And I'm okay with just totally ditching that and saying, eh, that's not me. That's not what I understand. If you want to talk about that, I'll put you in touch with somebody else. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you need somebody who can do that skill, here's six other people who can do it. And that's fine. I, there's there's got to be no pressure either way. Growth and evolution and learning, awesome. Self-acceptance, equally awesome. It just comes down to what are you willing to put the time and effort into. I love the point, Jared. I really do because... Uh, you know, again, I'm sitting here as a student and listening and, and I, you know, I'm aware of my own idiosyncrasies and, you know, if I'm going to do a presentation, that's the hardest one for me, just a, you know, you're on stage and you're presenting, I have to yeah. really do my homework and, and, and script it out and keep myself on track. And I'm pretty good. If you ask me to articulate something, yeah, like that, you know, on the, on the fly, um, I struggle though. I'm great at, um, let's say Q and a, what was it called? Pan panels, you know, do a, a, yeah, a yeah. panel of people and just get that candid question thrown up and have a conversation. I love that. Matter of fact, the first time I spoke for Ziegler, they wanted me to do a presentation and I said, can we just have a conversation? And it was with Tom Ziegler. I said, can you, we just sit both on the screen and we'll talk about the topic, which was self-employment at that point. And it was great. I mean, I am, I am, my heart rate is way down doing that yeah. as opposed to just you on stage, but yeah, figuring out what, you're so, I love that your self-acceptance and then is it worth it? Is it, you know, and sometimes it is, sometimes I need to stay on stage, do that presentation and do it well. Um, but in which no, case, you know exactly what you got to drill on yeah. and it sucks. That's the, the yeah. big secret when it comes to learning is well, two big secrets. A it's not easy. So prepare to feel uncomfortable. The very nature of learning is you have to change your underlying prediction for how the world works, which by its definition means you have to live outside of your current prediction, yeah. which is always uncomfortable. So learning is hard and it takes time. And so that you just got to be willing to, when you say, okay, you know what? I want to get better at one-on-one. -on -one. You're going to have to put yourself into very awkward situations to get better at it. And that's, that's the trade-off. If you're willing to learn something, you have to be willing to suffer. <laughs> a bit for it sure and that's nope. trying to get trying to get kids in say year three to learn math to recognize that learning is to a certain extent very uncomfortable is very difficult and i don't think it gets easier as we get older but I, I think as we get older we have better ways to kind of deal with it and handle it so now we get that choice to say yep i'm gonna do it or nope that's just too yeah. uncomfortable i'm sticking uh, it's good. This is great, great content. I, I'm going to read one more here just again, because it's just an interesting insight. Dennis, he says, I often do hour long presentations with no more than a handful of notes, sometimes literally on a napkin, but that's in situations where I absolutely own the topic. I've been told that I'm a very, that I'm very good at presenting. 
change the venue to a small group or one-on-one. And I am often not as strong because I will back off when I sense I'm touching a nerve. My wife is actually much better at this part than I am. She can speak her mind and do it in a non-offensive way. A nuance there is that my wife has a very low self monitor, so she doesn't pick up on the tone of the room. She's also incredibly nice. So whatever she says is really abrasive, uh, but I will often (laughs) wince in anticipation of fallout, but she nearly always pulls off what I can't or won't try to get away with. Um, Yep. Yep. Good self-awareness. That's what we're talking about. I love it. So I I think what you're seeing is, is exactly what we're talking about with resonance is if your wife is ridiculously nice and I don't want to say naive, but to the point where she, she's not, she's not censoring herself because she doesn't care about the response of the room. Everyone feels that and knows that, and no one gets mad at her. They're happy with her. They're kind and gentle with her. So this is a perfect idea of resonance. Your wife is the kind of person that makes people feel comfortable because she likely feels very comfortable in those situations. You come in, if you're afraid you're going to hit a nerve, I promise you everyone in that room is going to be on edge that you're going to be hitting a nerve. Because as soon as you start to sense and start to tighten up and do that tension, like, "Uh oh, somebody pissed, people are going to say, should I be? Should I be angry right now? Mm -hmm. There's a reason he's getting tense. Did he just say something that should anger me? And they're going to start to resonate with you. So the big secret here, yeah. well, not it's not even a secret, but I, I think you probably already know this, is you recognize you're never going to be your wife. So that's that's just her natural skill set. Go to town. Let her own that. When it comes to you, the secret then isn't avoid shocking people by telling them too much or, or uh, it's just prepare people for it. Just let people know, look, I'm about to go down a route that might make some people angry. And I just want mm-hmm. you to know that's not my intention at all. Uh, people have told me that I'm really abrasive and crazy when I start getting talkative, but just know that that's my passion. I'm not angry. I'm not mad. I'm not here to scare you. I'm just starting to get really passionate about this topic. So feel free anytime, bounce off me, throw things at me, yell at me, debate me. Don't think I'm telling you the truth, but here's the way I read it. Yeah. Boom. I just preface it. Just let people know. I know this is going to get weird, but that's not my intention. <laughs> that just seems to be how I relate when I'm talking to a group of people. Yeah. And once they know that, the, it'll, it'll take a second. They might feel slightly nervous because very rarely does somebody become self-reflexive during a group conversation and say, what I'm about to say is going to make you feel weird or the way I'm about to say this might feel odd. But then someone after about five minutes after that self-reflexiveness goes away, somebody will prod you with a question, a doubt. And when everyone else in the room sees that you were okay with it and that nothing broke, boom, watches the floodgates open and everyone yeah. feels fine chiming in after that. Yeah. So it's, it's, you, you just got to telegraph what's about to happen. Cause I'm the same when I, <laughs> in case you can't tell by the tone of my voice, when I get passionate about something, I get passionate, but that doesn't mean I don't change my mind or agree. It just means that when I'm starting to get passionate, I have to stop and tell my students in the classroom at the time, look, I'm, what I'm about to say isn't going to be right debate me, hate me, yell at me. You're not going to be wrong. You're not going to get in trouble. Just know that this loudness in my voice isn't because I'm angry or trying to convince you. It's just, this is what happens when I get passionate. Yeah. And I, <laughs> I, and I, 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 I don't know how to abate it at this point. I know I, I get it. It's, it's, it's something that again, I have to deal with in my own life. I am not the most emotive person, but when I do uh, I, I can get pretty intense on something that I believe in and it comes across with so much weight and yeah. I've had to, with employees, with business partners, with, uh, with my, my kids, my wife, 
preface sometimes and say, look, just take this with a grain of salt. I'm just a guy. It's just a thought. It's just a feeling. I know it often comes off as the, like this, you know, it's, it's written in stone, like the 10 commandments. It's not. So just everybody take a deep breath. Just going to share a thought or a feeling. Uh, but you know, I, I feel like so much of the thread here that I would, did not foresee, uh, for this discussion is that awareness of self and yeah. of who we are talking with and having, you know, uh, to your message, having some understanding of the framework of good conversations of good communication. Again, whether you're on stage, we talked about that in the first one, the strategy of, you know, when you're, when you're on stage talking to people, don't have a bunch of junk on the screen behind you, uh, you know, have an image maybe, but they can't have two conversations. I mean, it's just brilliant stuff. That's the same thing that we need to understand all the way down from the group meetings to the one-on-one that there are, if we want the best success, the highest, the highest success, there are strategies that we can employ. So hopefully it's not overwhelming to people. It is, I think that the message to me that we talked about here should be freeing to go, gosh, yes, I can, yeah. there's hope I can do better. And what's good is everyone who, who made a comment on your Facebook sounds very much like they're aware, they're self-aware. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's it is once awareness with acceptance whatever way that is, is acceptance that cool, I'm not going to change it or acceptance that, yep, I'm going to put in the work to change this awareness and acceptance is all we can ask for. And then you just play in that realm. When you know who you are, you try things and you say, does this work? No, not going to do that again. Did this work? Oh, it did. I'm going to play more with that. And then you just build your own system. That's great. Hey, thank you again for being with us third time. Uh, I hope that this helps people digest this more and have that hope and that they can go and craft better communication, man. Just thank you for your message and for giving us your time. No, thank you. I always love it. You're always great to chat with. Uh, Thanks, Jared. So how do you feel you rate? in speaking and communicating to groups and then to individuals. I trust this show delivers some equipping information to you. And again, I really, really recommend you check out Jared Cooney Horvath's book, Stop Talking, Start Influencing. You'll learn even more than you have on the shows I've done with him. All right, coming up in episode 741, Judge Not and Win Hearts. So an FBI special agent whose job was gaining trust and catching and recruiting spies shares his relational strategy at home to win his family's hearts. Now, that's just intriguing. Well, Robin Dreek, he was my guest in show 739. We talked about the specific truths and methodologies he employed as a master in behavioral analysis. Robin's testimony of family relationships based upon never judging or criticizing is just one of the most inspiring and convicting things that I've heard, period, in a long while. It is giving others what we all long for, but you're going to want to hear the details. He shares this and more in The Habits Show, where I walk Robin through the seven spokes in the Ziegler wheel of life. Robin is a sought after speaker at live events and working with business owners, doing internal leadership, customer relations, and sales. You can connect with him at peopleformula.com where he offers his training and find his book, the code of trust, wherever you get books. But this next show, you aren't going to want to miss. So till then folks, as always, thank you for walking with me as we inspire our true performance together.